and welcome to the Authentic Connection podcast by Honeypot. My name is Laura and I'll be your host. Each week, a special guest and I will dive deep into authentic connection, unraveling what this means for us and how to find it with ourselves, each other and the environment. These raw conversations are packed with knowledge, wisdom and inspiration relatable for all human beings journeying through life. The universe has brought you to this podcast for a reason. Let's jump in and journey together. Welcome to episode five. It is lovely to have you here at the Authentic Connection podcast. In today's conversation, I speak with Kara Leah, a classical tantra teacher, and we have an incredible conversation. I've had a couple of interactions with Karalia in the past and every time I leave with a new incredible insight and she really flips the way that I think about myself and I think about the world and today's conversation is no different. Particularly for me, I've now changed the way that I will be wording my questions and as a as a amateur podcast interviewer, I am constantly assessing how I am asking questions so that I can get some really insightful, interesting answers. And so, yeah, that was a pretty incredible takeaway for me. Um, we also go into, oh gosh, I am just going to let Karalea take it away from here, I think. I can't even summarize what we talked about. We go far and deep and I am so so excited for you to listen so without further ado here is my conversation with Cara Leah. Hi Cara Leah it is lovely to be able to chat with you today I've had a couple of interactions over the years and certainly um, well just to dive in some of the things that you've said have certainly made me assess my relationship with myself I suppose so thank you very much for talking to me today. Ah, my pleasure. I love talking about all this stuff, you know. I thought we would start off with, for people who haven't heard of the Tantra philosophy, if you would like to just give mm-hmm. us a really quick rundown on what that's all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I study and teach and practice in um, a classical Tantra lineage um, called Trika Shaivism. And classical Tantra started in about 400 AD in Southeast Asia, and it was a specific methodology for self-realization. And it was different from other methodologies, like there was the Vedas that led to a specific path, and there was Patanjali's yoga, you know, Buddhism, all of these different ways in which we can walk the path of awakening and liberation. Mm -hmm. And so Tantra is simply one methodology. So it has a specific view that it takes on reality, and there's certain teachings, and there's ways to approach those teachings, and there's practices. Uh, What makes it quite different from most spiritual paths is that Tantra is a householder tradition. So that means that ordinary people living ordinary lives with families and jobs and responsibilities would become Tantrikas, as they were called, and they would Mm -hmm. uh, awaken and liberate within their regular day-to-day existence. There was no going off to be a monk. You didn't renunciate life as such. You didn't go into the caves. Mm -hmm. You just lived your life. 
Um, and as a spiritual tradition, it didn't focus just on awakening and liberation. It also said that what it called boga was necessary and important. And boga is your ability to enjoy material reality. So mm. Tantra is very much about the embodied experience of living as a liberated being in this lifetime. Cool, cool. That mm. sounds more useful than some of the philosophies that you may, may have read or heard about due to the yeah. fact that obviously it's supposed to be applied to a householder lifestyle. Yeah, it's exactly it. Like most people are living as householders and so it makes sense to find a path that is specifically designed for those kinds of people. Um, and what often happens is when people begin to walk the spiritual path, there isn't necessarily an understanding of the different lineages or the different traditions. And so people are doing this or doing that, not even knowing which tradition it comes from. And at some point, there's often a pull towards one particular lineage or one particular tradition, a sense of, oh, this one is going to support me the way that I need to be supported so that I can awaken and liberate. Cool. And so what does liberation exactly sort of mean mm. or encompass? Like what do you mean by that? Yeah. So awakening and liberation are kind of like kind of uh, flip sides of the same coin. Awakening is a paradigm shift into orientation to awareness itself. It's knowing reality as it is. So one is no longer identified with the mind or identified with the feelings or identified with the body. There's a knowingness of one as the continuity, the, un the unchanging, infinite, eternal awareness that runs through everything. Mm. Whereas liberation is the... Uh, dissolving of all the conditioning that makes up the human being. So we are highly conditioned beings and we carry within us all kinds of traumas, wounds, samskaras, like undigested emotional experiences and ideas or beliefs about the way things are and about the way that we are. And liberation is the slow, well, it can be fast, but it's a methodical um, seeing of all of those things which are not who we truly are and dissolving them. And so one mm. gets to a point whereby if you're truly liberated, then external circumstances cannot impact you internally. And that's ultimately what Tantra is about. Like Tantra is often described as the yoga of power because you become completely empowered where you can be in the most atrocious circumstances or situation and yet still be having, be if you're orientated to awareness and there's, there's just no conditioning around things, there's a... Mm, it's okay. There's a general okayness with whatever is unfolding. Still a response mm. to it. You know, if you're drowning, you still get out of the water, right? You mm. don't just sit there and go, wow, it's so amazing. Um, but there's still an okayness with whatever's unfolding, which means that you're able to be so much more resilient and responsive to life as it is. Because people spend a lot of time rejecting and resisting what is already happening. Moral outrage mm. is a good example of that. You know, mm. people are outraged about the way things are. And it's like, well, that's what's already happened. How is your outrage really useful? What we should be, mm. what you could be looking at is if this is so, how do I want to respond? And so someone who's mm. more liberated is no longer reactive, no longer resistant, um, no longer rejecting what is happening. So the moral outrage, though, that would be a pretty classic thing to I suppose it would be an easy thing to use to kind of make yourself feel better about those things that are happening. You know, if you're outraged about it, that means you're not okay with it. So that means that somehow makes it makes you feel better about it, even though you have no control over it. 
yeah, possibly. It's it's the way that people um, feel powerful, actually, in some ways, or or separate themselves out from the thing that's unfolding. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, and so you can go into as much detail as you like with this, but I'd interested to hear your first touches into tantra and spirituality like what were the things that drew you in or what were the things that pushed you there I had a sense as a child that what I was being told about reality didn't match up to my own felt experience of reality Mm -hmm. just the sense of dissonance like everyone's walking around lying to me Um, and that became more pronounced when I left school and sort of entered the adult world and started to realize that most it just felt like it just wasn't what I'd been told or what I'd been promised. So there was a sense of dissonance and there was already a, like a sense of um, inquiring. Like I started asking questions. Um, I remember when I was 11 writing down in a journal questions like, why is it wrong to be gay? You know, mm. like if Jesus says love everybody, why do church people not like gay people? It doesn't mm. make any sense, you know? Mm. So just really se- sensing the gaps between things. And then when I was around 19, um, I read The Celestine Prophecy, which had just come out. So that opened me up to a whole different way of perceiving things. Um, and then I began I began yoga because I had bad back when I was about 25. So there's a slow progression of seeking and then needing to heal my physical body, which led me to mm. yoga. And then eventually my first introduction to Tantra came in 2010 when I was training as a yoga teacher. I'd been teaching for about four years by then and went over to LA to train with Shiva Ray and she teaches from a tantric tradition. So she had Christopher Tompkins, who's a tantric scholar and practitioner come and deliver the tantric portion. Mm. And it grabbed me a little bit. Then he taught us a specific practice, which I fell in love with and did sporadically for the next five years or so. But in 2015, I started, I decided to commit to a thousand day practice of that tantric practice And so that's when things really started to get interesting for me because unknowingly, like I, I was, I was tuning into a specific methodology and I, I'd been teaching for a long time, teaching physical postures, but I wasn't teaching in the tantric lineage and around 2018, I got a really strong, um, impulse. I sat with it for about three months and it was just like, okay, you need to start teaching this now. And I was like, I can't teach a tantric practice. I don't know anything about tantric yoga um, Mm. or tantra. So then I began to study tantra itself. And when I started to do that, I realized that spontaneously or intuitively, the way that I had been perceiving reality and navigating reality aligned with tantra. It was like I already knew how to walk this particular path. And Mm. as I've gone deeper and deeper into it, it just – because it takes a specific view on reality and it's specific teachings and there's certain texts that just light me up. Like I read them and I mm. recognize them. Like I read the recognition mm. sutras last year. It's like this big, thick, dense book. And I just, I understood it all. I was already having a direct experience of what it's speaking of. So it was just like, yeah. Oh, the relief. It was like coming home. Mm. Um, and so I'm so immersed in it now. Like I live e- literally every moment of my day is lived as a tantrika. There's mm. awareness of the unfolding. Um, and, I mean, I, I listen and I watch and I immerse myself in the teachings and then I teach it. Um, and 
there's also, this is important to point out though, there's also an understanding that ultimately even Tantra itself is a construct. Mm. And what that means is ultimately in the deepest of awakening and liberation, even that is no longer necessary or is seen through. So it's like any tool. It's useful while it's useful and then we need to let it go. If we become attached to it or identified with it, like if I was to identify as a Tantra teacher and that becomes a solidified identity that I'm attached to, well, that's actually like a little cul-de-sac that prevents me from moving from awakeness itself, from beingness. Mm-hmm. So this is what's interesting about both um, using and delighting in a tradition, but recognizing that one needn't become attached to that either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Certainly that sort of true embodiment of practice that you, you know, that you study is sort of the, it's always the thing of it's always easier said than done, I suppose. So are there, are there still any things in life these days that pull you out of feeling really embodied within the Tantra, being a Tantrika? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> okay, that's a relief almost. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we speak of abiding in essence nature. So essence nature, awareness itself, consciousness is the first phase of awakening within the Tantric framework. And so I, you know, that began to unfold for me maybe around 2015, little moments here and there, and then eventually became like a default state. Uh, it's not abiding though. What that means is I'm not there 100% of the time because when when I get triggered, when really strong fear arises, sometimes I'm able to, to stay orientated to awareness and to digest what's coming up, devour it, you know, do the work around it. And sometimes it, I'm just feeling into what's true here. There's always an element of awareness that remains. I'm never thrown completely mm-hmm. out anymore. Like yeah. I never forget completely. Uh, but it's like I move further away from awareness. And then what I, can, what I notice can come up sometimes as resistance to what's unfolding. And the moment that there's resistance to what's unfolding, then there's a sense of like, oh, I have to attend to that. I have to surrender again to the unfolding, no matter how painful it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, and attend to what's needed. So I would say that the orientation to awareness itself is fairly consistent. Mm. And I still experience, yeah, stuff still comes up that's really challenging to be with. And it takes a lot for me to be with it. But I know that's the path. I know that's what's needed, mm. that I can no longer mm. run away from or avoid or distract or suppress, deny, avoid, all these things, um, painful or challenging things. I can only – I have to show up to it, even when it's hard. <laughs> mm. Yeah, totally. I feel like it's been interesting noticing the really stark contrast of life during lockdown compared to kind of life getting all back to, to normal somehow – it's um it's easy to notice where you're giving too much or where you're where you're just not using your time and using your awareness really consciously. Do you have any big learnings that you got from the sort of lockdown period we had? Mm. Yeah, I had a really interesting ride. Um oh, really? lockdown. Yeah. Uh, my entire living situation pivoted and changed immensely in lockdown um, because my partner he'd moved in with me four weeks prior but his children lived down in Thames and so when lockdown was announced he's like we've got to move to Thames so 
I moved house, moved towns, went from, you know, I mean, I have a child, so I have mm. sole custody of my child, but all of a sudden went into a shared care situation and the only house we could find, because it was like literally lockdown was announced on Monday at 4 p.m. Yeah. And we had to move in two days, like pack up my whole house, my whole life, everything. And we managed to find this two bedroom house to sublet illegally. Um, the real estate property manager was not happy when I called her about a week after we'd been there and let her know what was going on. Bless her. Oh my God. It was hard for her. But that's what was happening, you know, and we rolled with it had to do it. But what it meant was all of a sudden I was not in control of my environment. I was living with, um, I was in a shared care situation, which was not my preference or desire. And, you know, my partner's an amazing father. He has two beautiful daughters. And what that meant was I was confronted with the father-daughter relationship, which in my childhood was problematic. And even though, mm. you know, I've done a lot of work, there was stuff I hadn't yet digested. So I was, I was in this container where I could not escape thanks to lockdown and forced and I knew it was I knew like I went into this on social media saying this is an opportunity to double down on practice and like many people forced into a situation where they were suddenly confronted with triggers that they managed to avoid because of their normal routines that was what happened for me the difference was that I had a context for approaching those triggers and I knew that I was being called to finally devour digest and dissolve some of these really deep samskaras or undigested mm. emotional experiences from childhood mm. and that is what I did and it was the most intense period I would call it a descent into the darkness um, mm. for eight weeks the most intense one that I'd experienced in about a decade or more I was so grateful for my partner who is has an incredible ability to hold space so he was not counter-triggered by mm. where I was he was able to fully mm. accept where I was he understood the work I was doing and he was able to hold the fort down when I'd be like I gotta go into practice and attend to this and then I'd be this one particular day when I went to the heart of emotional neglect and felt myself as a child experiencing emotional neglect it was mm. it was a five-hour journey six-hour journey into the, the yeah. felt sense of what that feels like and it was horrendous it was horrendous and when I started to come out of it the difference in my beingness coming out the the energy that I'd access the power that I'd access the deepened understanding of what's needed in order to do this work which is what I teach in this is what I do with clients it's what I train people to do so it was like I had this eight-week master class kind of like oh yeah you think you know this shit let's find out how well you know, you know? <laughs> oh my god what a rocky ride yeah, it was for sure. And it really made it forced me to examine everything I thought was true about who I was and how I was showing up in the world. And so once once we came out of it, as we moved into level two, I just got really clear and just said to my partner, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to live together because it's not what I need. And so we now live separately, which feels so much more in alignment and then it's created more space so that when stuff does, because stuff still comes up at times, I'm able to even more efficiently attend to it, right, and liberate myself from the conditioning, from the samskaras. Um, and it's, it's, and even that was letting go of the conditioning of what a successful relationship looks like. Because in general, we have this idea, you meet someone, you fall in love with them, you know, you date, you fall in love, you start seeing each other more and more, and then you move in together. And then you do this mm. and then you do that, you know, mm. and we've done the opposite. We moved in together. We spent three months living together 
And now we've moved out, we're living separately and going, okay, what is this relating? If we let go of all of our conditioning, if we let go of all of our ideas, when we let go of all concepts and just be with the energy as it flows between us as two human beings, what what is there? You know. Mm. So that's been a really interesting process as well, and it's it's ongoing. Mm. Mm. For sure. Me and my partner, we've been together for about five years and we've had lots and lots of periods where we've lived in different cities um, just with various things. And there's a balance to it. I feel like it depends on where you are in your relationship. We go through phases where we want to be together all the time and then we go through phases where we want to be apart. So I think it's just sort of allowing yourself to go with what feels right in that moment. Mm. So I suppose Honeypot as a sort of little project that we're working on is all about connection, really simply. And and obviously that word can be used in lots of different ways and, and the Tantra philosophy has lots of underpinnings to being connected. But I suppose in terms of a physical, or not a physical practice, a practice at all, what would be your favorite practice to keep yourself connected um, within yourself? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Like, what it brings up for me is there's a dissolving that happens between this idea of subject object, right? Mm. Me connecting to me. It's like, well, me connecting to how is that? What? No, it doesn't compute. Mm. When when there's orientation to awareness as as one's self as such. And because awareness permeates everything, right? Consciousness itself, consciousness awareness, same, same, gives rise to everything. Then when 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 you know yourself as consciousness, it's a felt experience and there's it's in everything, right? Yeah. There's this incredible communing with reality as it is, whereby there's a continuity. There's just not so much separation per se. So it's not even about connecting which implies two points and a connection it's more becoming it's simply becoming and from that it, it gets immersion it's merging yeah that's really good that's really insightful actually because I mean that connecting is the way that I think about it and it and it makes sense when I talk to like my friends who are not really down this rabbit hole <laughs> but when you really look at when you really sort of think about it and you're like, as you said, yeah, what are you, what are the two points that you're connecting? That's, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's a core, like that is a core teaching in Tantra, right? Is that it's like the three plus one teaching where if you look at, I see a pot, right? This is the classic example that's often given. I, yeah. subject, see the act, a pot, object, right? And we live in a world where these appear to be separate individual objects. But if you really sit with that and meditate on it and feel into it and contemplate it, after a while it all dissolves and there is no separate subject seeing the object. There is only this one continuity that it's unfolding. Mm. And so possibly, you know, when you're speaking of connection through the honeypot, that ultimately what you're facilitating as a community is a felt sense of that uh, dissolving of the artificial construct of separation. You see? Yeah. yeah. So when someone's like, oh, I feel so connected, 
is because there's been the dissolving almost of a thing. It's not something to attain. It's something to, mm. it's like you dissolve the things that are in the way of it. Yeah. Almost like a letting go of the, yeah. The I and the you. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Just to give a little, people a little bit, what does some of your daily practices look like if you were going mm. to have half an hour or an hour to yourself? Would that be a physical practice? Would it be just pure mm-hmm. meditation? Yeah. So uh, in 2015, I committed to this thousand day practice and it's a tantric yeah. practice. It's primarily seated. Um, yeah. And there is some movement like spinal rotations with breath retention, which helps to warm up the body. And then there's chanting. It's a lot around awareness, directing awareness, uh, and then working directly with Shiva and Shakti. Like the experience, again, it's really hard to talk about. Like if I'm sitting and doing it, people hear me making sounds and they might see my arms doing things, but you can't really see what's happening on the inside. And that's my core daily practice. Like I do that every single day. Um, I've dropped the ball twice on day 338 and then again on day 617. And right now I'm on, what's the date today? I'm on like day 978 or something. Ah. So that's my daily practice. Yeah. Uh, I have also recently joined the gym here in Thames and I'm freaking loving it. I go and do 40 minutes of cardio while I'm listening to a podcast, usually on spirituality like Adi Shanti or something. And then what I'm finding is after that, I'm doing physical asana, which I haven't really been doing for months and years in a consistent, dedicated way. I've just been doing the tantra practice. And now, for at least 20 minutes, five times a week, there I am doing physical poses, and I am loving it. Like, it's such a delight to get back into my body in such a visceral way. And so when I'm working with the body with asana, what I'm really doing is working with the nadis the channel so it's about Mm. feeling into how the nadis are running where the blockages are and using the breath and softening and intention to open them up as such and what I found really interesting is even though I've done minimal asana for probably the last five even seven years I am as flexible as open and strong as I ever was and in some cases more so which Mm. is curious to me. It's like, oh, there's like this level of retention within the body, but it also points to the the way I move about the world on a day-to-day level, and it points to the more esoteric practices, the more subtle practices having a bigger impact on the physical body than people might think. Mm. Yeah. Cool. That's really cool to know. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, two or three years ago if somebody told me that my tight muscles were to do with something other than going for a run um, I wouldn't have believed them but there's a lot more to how our body reacts to emotions and energy than than we really are even able to prove or even able to sort of talk about I suppose mm-hmm. and so and I suppose we'll use the word connect just for now but what's your way yeah. favorite way to I suppose, connect with others or, you know. Hmm. Um, I mean, ultimately just placing my attention on them and opening up to their field. Hmm. That's, you know, and there, and there's, it's just, it's a felt sense. It's like the merging of the energy fields um, on a more practical level or whatever. <laughs> I love dancing. I love dancing with people, right? And dancing with people is often a way to facilitate that kind of, connection or merging 
um, hitting the dance floor and mirroring each other, dropping into each other. It's like dropping into each other's energy bodies and feeling what it's like to be each other is fun. Yeah. Um, I love practicing with people for that reason. It's like, yeah. wow. And I love conversation, like really genuine conversation where there's a curiosity about another person's experience of reality. Like once people mm. let go of this false idea that there is one reality and instead get really curious about the multitude of realities that we experience on this planet, then true dialogue can take place. It's like, oh, how are you experiencing the world right now? What's going on mm-hmm. for you? And I find that mm-hmm. really interesting to, to, to see through another's eyes, you know, to see the world through another's eyes is such a gift. Yeah, it's one of those things that we generally find it really hard to have conversations with people who have opinions that we don't agree with. Um, well, so just the way you're saying that, you're making it a general rather than owning it, because I don't find that mm, hard at all. You're saying, mm, so when you say that, we do, well, we, and I'm like, wait a second, you're defining my experience for me. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I suppose I've had plenty of people say to me, oh, like, well, not plenty. There's been occasional people who decide that they can't be friends with me or that they can't be, they don't want to have a conversation because I don't agree with what they believe. Mm. So, but the, but this is it, right? There's no need to agree with anybody. Well, no, Everyone exactly, has their I'm... own perspective on reality, but, why, but letting go of the need mm. to influence other people in any way. Yeah. So the question yeah. to ask is if someone's belief makes you uncomfortable, what's going on for you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And sometimes you just, you just want, well, for me anyway, I want to know a little bit about how that belief came into be, you know, like what, what, whether it's an experience or whether it's like, you know, I read this article that made me think this way, you know, so yeah. um, I just find that interesting. But a lot of people won't even have the conversation with you, I suppose is what I'm sort of saying. But it's always nice to kind mm. of have different opinions around you. But yeah. Um, and then connection wise, what's we're going back to the connection thing what's the um what's your favorite way to connect to the earth or the environment or do you do you generally get that through your practice hmm I mean it's happening all the time yeah like to say what's your favorite way to connect implies that the default is disconnection Mm. if you see what I mean like it's already there like I can just look outside right now and it's like it's yeah like wow Check out those trees. They're freaking amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, like I love if I end up walking, you know, if I'm around nature, what's my being in it? But at the same time, we're always in it. It's just different kinds of nature, yeah. you know. Um, so in a way, the question kind of doesn't compute. <laughs> mm. I see what you're saying. And it's totally flipped the way that I'm perceiving that connection. Yeah, because, I mean, it. You know, if I asked that question for a lot of my friends, they'd be like, oh, I'm going to go out to the beach and go for a swim. Whereas like, you know what you're saying? And the idea is that you should always have that connection to the environment or to the earth or to nature, wherever you are. Well, it's not that we should per se. Mm. It's simply that. And in my, in my lived experience now, that it, that is already, it's there. For other people, yeah. though, that may not be true. Someone else yeah. may feel disconnected and then they have to take a specific action and orientate in a specific way to feel the connection. Yeah. You see? 
I love how you're picking me up on my language because I I think that language is so important. Like the words that we use to communicate the whatever we're talking about is so 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 important. So it's definitely something I've been. Mm trying to be a little bit more careful with with like even just the simple the place that I've been starting with is that I have to's you know mm, like yeah <laughs> there is absolutely if there's absolutely nothing you have to do if you really don't want to um but that reframing because we're so conditioned to do what other people tell us or what that's been expected of us so yeah anyway language I think mm-hmm. super 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 important yeah it is absolutely crucial and I do find that it's something I point to in people a lot now because if people ask a question there's often an underlying assumption and if that's not examined the question doesn't make any often the question itself dissolves like when you say how do you connect with nature I'm like well that assumes I'm not connected with nature yeah um and because in the world we live in, on the spiritual path, there's a lot of inconsistency around the way we use language, a lot of confusion over what specific terms mean. So, yeah, you're exactly right. If, two, if we're having conversations, like, well, hang on a sec, what do you mean by that term? What do I mean by that term? What does yeah. the lineage say on that term? What are we even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You get down a rabbit hole with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just writing down that. Underlying assumptions of questions. Yeah. Yes. Um, I read I read this guy, Jed McKenna, who's a freaking amazing teacher. He's one of my favorites. I have yeah. And one of the things that he often says about working with students is he's like, I'm not here to answer students' questions. I'm here to just to help them destroy the question in the first place. And that's really important to recognize that waking up liberation is not about the accumulation of knowledge. It's not about knowing more things. It's about examining what's leading to the question itself, mm. right? Mm. Because when you, if you're asking a question, to turn around and look at what's leading to the question will reveal you to you. When you reveal you to you, you're revealing aspects of the false self. When you can see aspects of the false self, you can just identify with them, and then that begins to dissolve that aspect. Because ultimately what we're doing here is destroying what we think we are in order mm. to know what we actually are. Mm. So... So that that way of working with questions can be quite laser sharp, you mm. see. Just mm. to go, wait a second, what's giving rise to that question? What's the underlying assumption in that question? That's good. Yeah. Um, one of my personal interests for starting this podcast is kind of hearing people's stories around particular relationships in their life that have helped them to evolve or help them to grow in some way. So I wondered if there was a particular relationship. Um, it doesn't have to be an intimate romantic one. It can be mm-hmm. a friendship or anything that has, whether it's the person or whether it's the way that you've interacted or whether it's the triggering from that relationship that has helped you um, reveal more of yourself to you or change or evolve in some way. Mm-hmm. On a meta level, all relationships serves that function. And, mm. right, so every relationship is a way to for me to see myself more clearly and to dissolve in essence um obviously well maybe not obviously but yes romantic relationships have been absolutely pivotal because they do evoke such strong emotions um a lot of reactivity and from a tantric Mm. perspective really owning your reactivity and doing the work around it is what leads to liberation and my relationship with my son who's now 10 has been enormously useful 
it's like he plays the role perfectly of being the most challenging. <laughs> and I've had I, initially I had a lot of resistance to that particular relationship and using it in the same way that I was using my family relationships or relationship with friends or a relationship with my romantic partner. There was just resistance to even being a single parent because it was, you know, like I left his dad when he was a year old. Um, and that was that resistance meant that I wasn't able to use that relationship, which then meant mm. that once I did start using that relationship, it became super potent. Um, and so the question that I often ask is, what is this calling me into? What is this asking of me? So when mm. he's being a particular way, and if it's fucking me off, which it does sometimes, <laughs> then the question is, oh, that's my reactivity. How do I work with that in order to show up for him in the way that's needed? So, yeah, it's just, it's shown me so much and it continues to do so. It continues to evolve, of course. Like he's only 10, like he's coming into teenage years soon. And I'm really curious, you know, he's grown up around yoga and he, he's gone to festivals since he was five um, and he's aware I've written a book called Sex, Drugs, and Mostly Yoga, and lately yeah. he's started to drop names of drugs in the conversations, like cocaine and this and that. But I'm, watching, I'm like, where are you getting this information about drugs? He's like, oh, it's everywhere, Mum. It's in the newspaper, all these criminals. And, and so I'm really curious about his relationship to drugs and just asking questions. I'm like, do you want to know anything? Just ask me, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And just curious to see as as he grows up, and because it's important to recognize that ultimately the role of mother and the role of son that we play for each other is, is another layer. It's not what we ultimately are. He is awareness. I'm awareness. We are awareness dancing together. Mm. And so the, the role of mother-son is required right now. And at some point, it may not be. Like once he's an adult human being, does he require me to mother him anymore? Mm. No. Like no attachment to that role and if he has no attachment to the role of being a son then I'm really curious to know what happens then like do we just merge it start to become friends to each other or mentors or mm. I, don't, I don't know mm. but it is both the most challenging and probably one of the most rewarding relationships to be engaged in for sure mm. I bet so I suppose it's probably question you get quite a lot but if somebody likes the idea of tantra where would be the first place to start whether it's a practice that they start themselves or whether it's a book that they read or mm, I would say um look up Christopher Wallace who's written a couple of amazing books tantra illuminated is like the bible of tantra and so there's mm. philosophy history the lineages all the stuff so that's a good place to start. If you've never read spiritual books before, it might be quite heavy. Mm. I don't know. I mean, it might be too much. Um, find a good Tantra teacher. Classical Tantra, that is, is different from Neo Tantra. Neo Tantra is focused primarily on conscious sexuality and on intimacy. It's, mm. And it's not classical Tantra, which is a methodology for awakening, liberation, self-realization. Mm. Um, but yeah find a teacher Christopher Wallace is an amazing teacher I work with students as well and let I let your intuition guide you like your deepest sense of knowingness I'm not even going to use that word intuition actually um, because that's kind of mm, co-opted in some ways it's more mm. like get deep and trust the deepness trust the deepness and follow the breadcrumb trail if you set a clear intention like I want to understand 
So you want to know Tantra. Maybe it would be more useful to get clear on what's your relationship to awakening and liberation first, right? And then from that perspective, like my my intention since about 2004, 6, 8, something like that, has been liberation in this lifetime. I've mm. just gone, the Buddha can do it, I can do it. And so that's been my focus. And Tantra's come in to support that, right? So that's worth recognizing. You don't learn Tantra for the sake of learning about a part. I mean, you can. That's what academics do. Mm. But it's meant to be used to awaken and liberate. So if you're interested in awakening and liberation, you might be like, oh, maybe that can support me. So that's how I'd kind of approach it is get, first of all, get clear on what your interest is. What do you want to know? You know, why are you interested in it? Mm. 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 Yeah, that makes sense. And anything else that you want to share today and finish on? Mm. One thing that's worth noting about Tantra is that as a methodology, it's not just focused on awakening and liberation. Of equal Mm. importance is boga or enjoyment of the material world. Mm. See, And that's important because we live in a material world it's freaking amazing, you know, like the sights, the sounds, the colors, the text, like it's so extraordinary to be alive. And other spiritual traditions are often focused on transcendence, like leaving this mm. world. Mm. And Tantra's like, nah, man, we're here. Let's learn how to be in the world, but not of the world, how to how to enjoy it and immerse in it. Like Tantra has a very strong aesthetic tradition, so it, admi- it works with artworks, right? Mm. Um, beauty. It's got a strong sense around beauty and to recognize that ultimately awakening is immersion in reality as it is. And reality is all things. It's both painful and pleasurable. And Mm. once there's a sense of being okay with all of that, the amount of pleasure that one can experience from the smallest of things, like the way the rain is falling and the drops are hanging on the telephone wires, you know, it's like, oh my God, look how extraordinarily beautiful that is. Then life opens up in this amazing way where there's no sense of lack. There's nothing to seek. You don't need to know Mm -hmm. anything. It's simply like being what is and delighting in the majesty of life and if that intrigues you then tantra may be your path for sure Mm. well that's that's really lovely note to finish on because sometimes you you go down the rabbit hole and it's sort of almost like deprivation and deprivation Mm -hmm. doesn't fit with a lot of the way that we live our life and you just it just ends up not working out you can't adhere to it anyway um so that's a really really nice part of the philosophy I love that cool um well thank you so much for talking to me today Caroline and thank you very much for your time I'll make sure everyone can find your website if they want to look into a bit more about um what you do or your services and things awesome thank you so much it's great to come on and, and have a chat about all of this stuff and just just to share some of that deeper wisdom around what awakening and liberation is. The fact that it's a very ordinary thing accessible to ordinary householders. Like anyone can do it. Mm. It's possible, you know. You just need the desire and just show up, do what's required, and you can awaken to that what you truly are, which is mm. freaking delightful. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible, incredible, cool.
Thank you. And that's it, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for your time. Find more on Caralea at her website. It is caralea.com. So that's K-A-R-A-L-E-A-H dot com. And she also has a podcast herself, Pillow Talk by Caralea. So you can look her up. She's had some some cool conversations with other spiritual leaders herself so that's where you can find more on Caralea. my last little note that i want to finish on is our honeypot ceremony that we've got booked for next thursday so if you are listening to this um before thursday the 23rd of july please um look up on the honeypot culture website for our yin ceremony timed with the new moon Um, super excited to share some physical space with our Auckland friends so would love to have you there and yeah look forward to talking to you all very soon thanks very much bye